Welcome to Rising Tide, the Ocean Podcast. This is David Helberg, and my co-host, as always, is Vicki Nichols Goldstein of the Inland Ocean Coalition. So, Vicki, you told me you were on a boat last time I tried to reach you. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, tell me more. Well, I am looking at a very gorgeous blue ocean in the Caymans, and I went out for a swim this morning and saw a stingray, a bunch of fish, and a spotted eagle ray. So I've had a very good morning. <laughs> wow. So it's like flying with the eagles, except it's an eagle ray and you're underwater. Were you scuba snorkeling? Uh, today was a snorkel and tomorrow will be another dive. So I'm here with my family. It's my sister's birthday. So the sisters and family and friends are all just having a good old time bringing in a new decade for her. Wow. Well, happy birthday to your sister. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't think you party too much. <laughs> Today we're going to have a bit of an in-house conversation with Natasha Benjamin, uh, Blue Frontiers Associate Director. Natasha is also Communications Director for a Deep Sea Research Organization, a longtime scuba diver, a surfer, marine scientist, and filmmaker for more than 20 years. Recently, Natasha began work on a documentary film project, Sequoias of the Sea, about the collapse of Northern California's kelp forest and its impact on a fishing community where efforts to restore the kelp are intimately tied to efforts to restore livelihoods and coastal culture. But Natasha, let's let's start with your own background in the ocean and filmmaking. It's, it's generational, isn't it? Why, yes, it is. Um, great to be here talking with you, David and Vicky. I grew up in a family of filmmakers. Both my, my father and my mother are documentary filmmakers. And um, at a very young age, I decided to pursue, pursue the track of marine science and marine biology and um, focused on that for most of my career. And then more recently have been working on films with my father and on my own and kind of coming full circle in terms of um, growing up in that household of filmmakers and now using film as a way to tell stories about the ocean. And there are a lot of ocean stories. So tell us a little bit more about your film that you're working on. Sure. I am working on a film called Sequoias of the Sea, which is documenting what has happened to California's kelp forests. When I realized that we had lost 95% of the kelp on the north coast of California, I was you know, I was shocked personally as a diver and actually witnessing this decline. And then even more surprised that we didn't really, people didn't know about this. And there, there wasn't a film about documenting what had happened. So um, this started, uh, actually, I was having lunch with Anna Blanco, the director of the International Ocean Film Festival, and my father, and I was explaining this perfect storm of events that has happened off the co of our coast here in California that has caused this decline to my father. And I asked Anna if there had been a film at the International Ocean Film Festival here in Northern California about the kelp forest decline. And she said, no. And my father looked at both of us and said, you guys need to make this film. And mm -hmm. we looked at each other and we said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> And wow. here we are, you know, a year later and been spending a lot of time on the North Coast in Mendocino trying to tell the story of uh, the impact of this ecosystem loss on the communities there. So you were talking about you were diving in Northern California. You've been diving for quite a while. How, how uh, old were you when you get certified and and how'd you end up doing that? 
as soon as I could swim, my father took me snorkeling in the Florida Keys. And I think that first time we were snorkeling, I drank so much seawater because I wanted to talk about everything I was seeing in the water and um, talking and snorkeling don't really go hand in hand. I was hooked from that from day one. And as soon as I could uh, get certified to be a scuba diver, which at that time, you had to be 13 to be a scuba diver. I grew up in Manhattan. So the, the closest place to get certified as a scuba diver was to do the class at Hunter College in a pool. I was uh, the only teenager in the class. Um, and I did my closed water and class certification at Hunter College in New York City. And then my dad took me down to the Florida Keys to do my open water certification. And that was the beginning of a long journey of dive trips with my dad, exploring this underwater world. And I was, that's kind of what launched me into this ocean conservation career that I took on. What did you do after your certification? After spending a lot of time in the water and spending a lot of time in the Florida Keys and actually watching that ecosystem change before my very own eyes, you know, that, you know, that was about, you know, 35 years ago when I started diving and the Florida Keys is a very different place. I started seeing the corals disappearing, crumbling, covered with algae, the fish getting smaller and smaller. And that's really what launched me into this ocean science world. And I went on to pursue my degree in marine biology and then a master's in marine policy. And then I moved to California and started working with small-scale fishermen on fisheries issues and spent many years looking at kind of the science and the policy of what we need to manage these resources and um, and then started working with marine applied research and exploration. So how long have you been filmmaking? So I've always been filming or taking pictures of something to do with the ocean, basically, um, my whole life. And more recently been focused on trying to tell some of these ocean stories. So during the pandemic, my father sent me his camera uh, and I learned how to use the camera and I taught myself how to edit and just started taking the camera out and filming, you know, whatever I could find. And it started here locally. And now I've, I've been filming um, up and down the coast, looking at, at this kelp story and what's happened to the kelp forests and the communities around the kelp forest. I've been writing about the kelp collapse for the LA Times, the New York Times in print. I know there's a difference. I, I used to do documentaries. It's a very visceral media. What attracts you to that media and, and how do you think a film can tell a story differently? So one of the, you know, the hardest things about talking about what's happening in the ocean is showing people what's happening. From the surface, the ocean looks just fine. And most people sit on the beach and enjoy the ocean. There's there's very few people that actually get to go under the water, like, you know, like Vicky and David and, and I, and film and imagery is really so powerful in, in order to tell those stories. So I, what I was finding is working with all of these different conservation groups is they were collecting data, they were collecting information, and they were really trying to tell stories about what was happening below the surface where most people didn't have access. And the camera and using imagery is really the most powerful tool we have 
to tell those stories, not only about what's happening underwater, but also the people that have been impacted. And that's really what's driving me at this point is, you know, we have David Attenborough and Jacques Cousteau, which I, I grew up on and, and the awe of what's happening underwater. But I think in order to really get people involved and engaged and activated around ocean conservation is really showing the people and their, their stories and how they've been impacted by what's happening in the water. So using the camera to tell those stories is, is really what I've been focused on. A documentary like My Octopus Teacher has made people rethink how they relate to the cephalopods. Yeah, exactly. I want to go back because I, I, I'm really stuck on this 95% reduction of kelp. And David, I know you've been writing about it, but Natasha, when did we actually start getting a handle? Like, was it already 50% reduced, 10%? Like, give us a sense of timeline for what we are dealing with, um, with this kelp problem. Great question, Vicki. Um, you know, this all happened very quickly. And I think the scientists are are even still trying to figure out, you know, how quickly it happened and are in quite in shock, really. What happened was in it was a perfect storm of events that started about eight years ago in 2013-14. Along the California coast, we had a warm water blob. That was actually the scientific term for it. It was a marine heat wave where temperatures were in, increased dramatically from the surface of the ocean down to hundreds of meters. We saw increases in temperatures. That exacerbated um, a disease that killed off all of the sea stars, basically along the entire west coast of California. In addition to that, that warm water killed off the majority of the kelp. Kelp need cold, nutrient-rich water. That wasn't happening in, in those years with this warm water occurrence. And we lost the kelp. We lost all of our sea stars, including our sunflower sea star, which is the main predator in the kelp ecosystem. Once we lost our sea stars, sea urchins, specifically purple sea urchins, took over and basically carpeted the ocean floor where kelp forests once stood and devoured any kelp that was left. With this this blanket of sea urchins on the on the ocean floor kelp can't really come back as you know i've seen little baby kelp stalks at the bottom of the ocean with hundreds of sea urchins on it they really don't have a chance and sea urchins are a natural animal you know they belong here they're a native animal but uh, we've never seen them in this kind of numbers so this perfect storm of events created this collapse in the kelp ecosystem. And we have lost kind of 95% since that's happened. So these urchin barrens are now basically covering the seabed where otherwise the kelp might return, might uh, recover. And people are trying to figure out solutions. And, and I guess your documentary is looking at people because unfortunately, unlike the three of us, People may not be fascinated by kelp critters, but they're fascinated by other people. So, so talk about the people that you're encountering and, and documenting in your film. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, David, that's a really good point. Like, I, I definitely have the, what we call the kelp fever. Um, once you start kind of learning about this ecosystem, it's pretty fascinating um, and how important it is. But like you said, people not not everyone has kelp fever, so we need to tell a story about the people and. 
Fort Bragg along the Mendocino coast is really the epicenter ground zero of this collapse um, in California. And the communities there have been devastated. The recreational abalone fishery that has been going on for years is gone. Abalone depend on the kelp forest, um, which is basically shut down a whole dive industry in that community. The commercial red sea urchin fishery has also been decimated. Red sea urchins are larger, and those are the ones that you see um, when you go to a restaurant or when you order uni at a sushi restaurant. And they also need the kelp. And so that that fishery has been decimated. But fishermen and scientists are working together to try to solve this problem. And it's a pretty unique um, collaboration on the North Coast right now. We have urchin fishermen that are working with Reef Check and the Nature Conservancy to try to develop techniques to remove, remove the urchins. And in, in addition, bring more kelp back into the system, do kelp planting and enhancement. And this is what um, we are documenting in the film is this unique partnership between community members, between the fishermen, the scientists, the tribes, the divers, trying to bring back this ecosystem and their livelihood and their ocean backyard. Is there a process for growing kelp like we have for other aquaculture or um, laboratories or some type of aquaculture for different types of kelp that can be replanted? Yeah, um, they are working on on grow outs, trying to figure out how to reintroduce the kelp into the system. Now that we've been trying to remove these purple urchins that have taken over, we now want to reintroduce it. So there's labs um, along the California coast that are coming up with different techniques to reseed and replant actual bull kelp. Bull kelp is the main kelp that we're talking about in this story. Um, There is giant kelp as well that you see in Southern California. But when we talk about that 95% loss, that's the bull kelp. So they're trying, they got some uh, inland labs to see if they can grow new kelp seed and kelp plants. How about sea stars? Are they trying to grow some new predators? Yep, they are. Uh, The University of Washington and there's a lab in Monterey as well. Um, that was started by a diver who saw the collapse and the need to bring back this beautiful, amazing sea star that can almost, is is one of our biggest sea stars. It's huge. It's basically disappeared. It actually has just been proposed to be listed under the Endangered Species Act as a threatened species, which which will hopefully bring some more science and research and attention to this really critical species. If we had that sea star, um, it is believed that the ecosystem would be more in balance. Um, so they, people are working on it, but that's going to take a while. Excuse me. What is the sea star? Which species? It's the sunflower sea star. It's called Pycnopodia, and it's the largest sea star, and it's really the main predator of of the urchin. The urchin has no no predator. We used to have otters along this coast many, many Many years ago, many that would have been another predator of the urchin. So this urchin has no natural predation in the system right now. So we've gotten rid of the sea otters. We sent them off as furs to uh, other countries. And these uh, sea stars, we used to call them starfish, are huge. These predator ones, they're the size of platters, dinner platters, right? Yes, exactly. Even bigger than that. And they they can do a lot of damage um, you know, on on sea urchins. 
they eat a lot of them. Obviously, you and Anna have your own vision on how this documentary is going to look, but what are some of the other documentaries that you'd aspire to or that really um, set a standard for you in terms of the ocean? Oh, there's so many. Um, as I said before, you know, I, I grew up watching Jack Cousteau films and um, really, really aspired um, to 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 really follow in his footsteps in many ways in terms of creating that awe and inspiration and bringing people below the surface that that couldn't otherwise. I recently, I was at the Sundance Film Festival a, a couple of months ago, and I saw an incredible film um, that's not, it's not available right now, but I hope it, it comes out and we can see it. It's called Against the Tide. And um, it was a film about two uh, that took place in India in a small fishing village. And it was uh, best friends that were working together uh, and fishing. And these were two fishermen. Um, and one went in one direction and was kind of was uh, decided to get on a bigger boat with more technology and more sophisticated fishing gear and expand where he could go fishing. And the other friend stayed on his small boat by himself fishing inshore and through the story of their friendship and what was happening to their fishing community um, it told a beautiful story of of what's happening in the ocean they were bringing back smaller and smaller fish they were having to go further and further offshore to collect these fish and spending more money on building better technology um, to collect fish and it was really the story of their friendship, but it it told the story of what was happening to this local community in terms of their ocean and other fishermen coming in. And it really inspired me to, to really focus on the people to tell this story um, around the ocean. And that's, that's kind of why I've been focusing on the, those communities up in Fort Bragg to tell the story of what's happening in the ocean. Vicky, what's some of your favorite ocean documentaries? Oh my gosh, I'm trying to think. Well, certainly we were just talking about um, my octopus teacher because we saw an octopus this week. And so that was really inspiring. Um, I also think the cove was really quite moving and it had that detective element to it. So it wasn't just completely depressing. It was, you know, you were trying to track down the bad guys. Um, but yeah, there are so many wonderful documentaries out there about the ocean and communities. And and I kind of wanted to go back to the community because I know, Natasha, you were also um, working with some of the, the local tribes or bringing them in and looking at their perspectives. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, there's a number of tribes along the coast um, that obviously have been impacted by a number of different things, including the decline in kelp, the decline in abalone, which all are used in their in their traditions. And they also, you know, they've been stewarding and and managing their their own ocean um, for for decades, for centuries, uh, b- before we came in and created management regimes and. There now we the the tribes and some of the agencies and the sanctuaries are starting to work together to develop techniques to further manage and protect and use that traditional knowledge in the management. So we've been documenting Kashaya Band of Pomos um, on the Sonoma Coast. They're working with the Greater Farallons National Marine Sanctuary. They're getting trained on how to do drone surveys so that they can keep track of what's happening with the kelp forests. 
They're also working with Reef Check um, to get trained as scientific divers to go and survey uh, their 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 kelp forest. So that's really exciting, and that's just happening now. It should have been happening for a long time, and that you know that's a piece of the story as well. Now, when I did documentaries for PBS, we're on a contract three month for half an hour, six month for an hour. A lot of independent filmmakers will spend years producing a documentary. What's what's the time schedule? When are we going to see uh, sequoias of the sea? Well, we're on the fast track uh, as much as we can be, considering um, weather and funding and all of the obstacles that a, a small independent film takes. Yes, but back to your point, David, this is a climate change story and there's an urgency around it. So Anna and I are, are really dedicated to getting this film out as soon as possible because we want this story to be told. This is a local example of what's happening on a global scale um, in terms of, in terms of our climate emergency right now. So we will be filming through the spring and the summer, editing in the fall, and hope that this that everyone will be able to see this film next year, early next year. We could take years telling this story and going into all of the different communities, but we really want to get the story out sooner than later. And in addition to creating the film, you know, as a marine scientist, as an ocean conservationist, I think what's even more important is creating an education, outreach, engagement, impact campaign that's going to go along with the film. Um, so we're starting to develop that now. And a film, you know, nowadays you really can't make a film without an impact campaign, especially around an issue like this. There's nothing quite like being in the kelp forest and seeing on a good day when there's a little bit of visibility, that light shining through. They call it the cathedral. Uh, it's really, it's quite an epic scene to be underwater in in a healthy kelp forest. Yes, it's one of the most stunning environments for sure. Um, I want to go back because I, I know you, Natasha, and I also know Anna, and the two of you are just like powerhouses. And I think it's going to be a fantastic film. But how do you break up who does what in a film like this? Like, how do you guys collaborate and work together? What are your strengths? Tell us a little bit more about that partnership. Great question. Um, you know, Anna and I started this together, um, kind of been on this journey. Uh, we are co-producers and co-directors. I have been more focused a little on the, the videography, cinematography, editing, the kind of the technical side. Anna is an amazing connector and an amazing, um, you know, in terms of work, working with our characters, um, we take turns asking questions because we're both so curious about this. Uh, and it's really been a learning process. I mean, I came in with a, a background in, in science and in marine biology, but um, kelp ecology is a whole thing on its own that we've learned so much about. So. It's been a joy working together and um, bringing our different perspectives. Her, she's watched hundreds and hundreds of films about the ocean. So she brings in that perspective. I bring more of the science perspective and the cinematic perspective. Uh, so I, I feel like I'm very fortunate. We have a great team. And as you and uh, Vicky both stated earlier, diving in kelp forest, it's like diving in coral. It's a magical other world. It's this cathedral world of plants that both fascinate you and sometimes grab your regulator and try and drown you and you're surrounded by a uh, life 
sea stars and sharks and uh, seals and sea lions and bright orange and deep blue fishes. And I look forward to seeing your film because it's really a balance of the wonder and the warning that these are the places, the parts of our planet that are essential, that are wondrous. And, and oftentimes we're discovering them even as we're putting them at risk. I'm very excited about what you're doing. What are your immediate next steps and challenges? Oh, where do I begin? Um, you know, you, you you describing kind of the wonder. I mean, that's why that's why we called the film Sequoias of the Sea. It's really, you know, people understand that idea of a forest, not so much underwater, but we have a whole for underwater forest and it's in trouble, just like our land-based forests. Next steps is getting back up to Fort Bragg and filming. The weather has finally calmed down. It's been a really rough winter. Uh, we were hoping to get up there sooner, but the fishermen that we're working with haven't been on the water since really since December. And that is part of the story is these storms, these atmospheric rivers that we've been having here in California that have put fishermen off the water has had is having a huge impact. Um, and this is all part of that climate change story. So we will be getting up there soon and filming and checking on the kelp. This is the time of year where you're seeing which kelp is coming back and where it's coming back. Uh, the summer is really the peak canopy at the end of the summer is where we would see peak canopy. So we were, we're very curious to get in the water and see how the kelp is doing. We were quite shocked to see this decline. And, um, you know, it's too soon to tell what's going to happen. But we know we're going to see more of these marine heat waves, and we know that the ocean is changing. So that's what the story is about. And sadly, there will be many more stories about changing oceans and climate. So we are super delighted that we have your story that will be coming out next year. And I can't wait to see it. Um, and with that, I would like to thank you so much for being part of the Rising Tide Ocean podcast. And uh, thank you so much and good luck with the rest of your story and your filming. And we'll say hi to Anna as well, since she can't join us today. So thanks so much. Thank you, Vicki. Thank you, David. Have fun in the Caymans. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Rising Tide is a production of Blue Frontier, co-hosted by David Helberg and myself, Vicki Nichols-Goldstein, with support from Natasha Benjamin and Ellie Curla. Rising Tide's editing services and technical support is provided by Studio Kate May. The theme song is written and performed by Ethan Kenbarg. You can find Rising Tide, the ocean podcast at bluefront.org or download it from Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Off in the salty ocean, off where the waves are free, the sparkling water rises, then crashes to the sea. Out amongst the breakers, you'll have no need to fear. It's true, it's the blue frontier. Tear, tear. Off in the salty ocean, not to the blue frontier. Sparky, come here, buddy. Sparky, there you are. Good boy, Sparky.